Welcome to another edition of Daf Shui Weekly Daf. Give me 40 minutes or so and I'll give you a Daf or so. This week has been a week of turmoil. I hope you are healthy and taking care of yourself. And I hope you've been doing what you can to rectify the awful situation in which we are in, in which we have been in for a couple hundred years, holding Brianna Taylor and George Floyd. I never have to hear again the phrase, I can't breathe. I'm hoping that white Jews learn how to better support and be allies to Jews of color, to people of color more generally, and I hope we get through this with our democracy intact. So, we're going to be starting today on 26B, about two-thirds of the way down, Amar Ula in the shots that was published in Vilna, though these 150 years ago, by the widow and brothers Raim. We're continuing a discussion, a conversation, about the band of property that's at the end of a field, those 16 amod, 16 cubits, which are, are at the end of the field and which belong to the owner of the field, but don't belong to the owner of the field. We just had a, a, a short conversation about what happens if you have a tree in one field and in, which is a regular field and the field next to it is a field that is dedicated to the temple uh how far away from that field does the tree have to be so that its roots don't go into the field that's dedicated for the temple and what happens if it does important concepts and uh that was last week's show if you want to get that that was last week's episode and daf if you want to get that before you go here go back and listen to that but today we're we're moving on from there with and we're starting with a statement by Ula and Amora Amar Ula Ilana Samuch lemeitzar betoch sheshemah gazlanhu ve'ain mevin mimenu bikurim. So so Ula says a tree, which is next to that boundary part of the field within sixteen amot, is a thief, and we don't bring bikurim from the produce of that tree. So now, the interesting, before we move on, I want to stop here on the phrase gazlanhu. It is a thief, or the tree is a thief. What does that mean? Right? This is the only occurrence of the phrase gazlanhu in which the object of who is not a person. And so we're talking about a tree. So it's fascinating to me. And there's a whole field of studies called animal studies, and some people in Talmud are taking up that study, Beth Berkowitz has a, a great book called Animality, and, well, it's a longer title. But she, uh, animal studies, she's applying animal studies to Talmud. And the idea is animality, using this term animality, is an effort to claim distinctiveness, agency, and subjectivity for individuals who belong to a species category other than human. In other words, it's trying to decenter our focus from humans. Humans are not the only ones with agency. Animality modeled on the term personality serves to undermine the species difference, which is then used in the surface of violence to, done to animals and humans portrayed as animals. If non-human animals are lesser species, then there's no reason not to do violence to them, to kill them. And uh, so the same would be true about trees. Uh, they're not animate in the sense that they don't move like we think of animals, but they drink, they are alive and there are other species. Um, I don't know what the implications of that are, 
For our purposes here, Animal Studies and Concepts of Animality highlights the fact that Ula's statement seems to give some agency to the tree. Because it says that if it's within 16 amot, meaning that its roots will, we assume that its roots will go out 16 amot, and that goes into beyond the band of the Meitzar, beyond that band of land which is belongs to the owner, doesn't belong to the owner, will go into the field and will suckle from the field, from the water of that field. So animal studies and the concept of animality highlights the fact that Ula's statement gives, seems to give some agency to the tree. And this is reinforced by Rashi's comment on Gazlan Hu, which he says, he or it is a thief for the tree suckles from the field of his fellow, right? Rather than just glossing over this phrase as merely metaphoric, I want, it, I want to let it sit there in its uncomfortableness. This is not unique in the field of ambiguous statements about non-human agency. The first Mishnah in Sanhedrin states that 23 judges are needed to try an animal in a case of bestiality, which is listed among the capital cases. Also, a shor hamuad, an ox that has gored three times, and then is considered mu'ad. So mu'ad is, and we're going to actually see this in the first daf in the next chapter, for other reasons, but an ox that has gored three times is considered a goring ox, so that the fourth time it has to pay full damages. But mu'ad list literally means a shore, an ox that is warned, and it has to be warned by a court. Um, now, does that just mean that the owners are warned? Perhaps. But there are, there is a whole, there is something of a tradition of animal trials in the Middle Ages. And so, um, well, I don't have a larger theory here yet. I just want to mark it and let it sit there in its, perhaps its uncomfortableness, perhaps its oddness to what we thought we knew about the rabbis and their conceptions of animals. And we move on. So, Ula said, a tree which is uh, next to this band of land, boundary band of land, the Meitzar, within 16 Amot, is a thief, is a thief. The tree is a thief. And we don't bring Bikurim from it. Now, the question is, is that good or bad, right? That we don't bring Bikurim, it, it, it's easier. It's a kula. It's a, it makes things easier for the owner of the tree because the owner of the tree doesn't have to bring those first fruits to Jerusalem. Okay, so the Stam asks, Minale la Ulaha. So, how does Ula know about this? How does Ula know that it's 16 amot and that more than 16 amot, it's okay, less than 16 amot, it's theft, it's stealing from the next field? How does Ula basically know that the amount of area that a, that a tree draws water from is 16 amot? from it. Okay, so a little uh, trigger warning here. Math coming up. Ilema miditznan, if you want to say it is from the Mishnah that says, and this is a Mishnah in Shvit, Okay, so 10 small trees, seedlings, not seedlings, but um, small trees that are dispersed within a field that can yield a sa'ah of grain, and that's 50 by 50 amot. We know that from the measurements of the temple. So you plow, you can plow the whole, that whole field, that whole beit sa'ah, uh, because of those trees up until Rosh Hashanah. So we have to take a step back. We're talking about Shemitah, which is the seventh year. During the seventh year, you can't plow your fields. 
Right, that's the whole point of Shemitah, letting go, letting land life follow for the seventh year. The question is, when do you have to stop in the sixth year? So there are some things you have to stop on Shavuot, which is five months before, four months before uh, Rosh Hashanah. Some things you have to stop on Pesach, which is six months before Rosh Hashanah. I mean, some things you can you can work the fields all the way up to Rosh Hashanah, and that's what we're talking about here, the, those exceptions, because apparently if, if you don't tend to these uh, small trees, then they will die. Okay, so that's what, so that's the Mishnah in Shri. There are 10, if you have 10 of these small trees in an area of a that can produce a Sa'ah, then you can plow the whole area for because of them until Rosh Hashanah. Kama havalahu. So how? What is that area uh, that produces a saah? Alpayim v'chamesh mod garmide. So it's twenty five hundred cubits. Lekol chad v'chad kama matile. So how? What does that work out for for each tree? Matayin v'chamshin. So it works out to two hundred and fifty square amot for for each tree. Hala havi ula. But this is different than what ula says. Why? Because tenetiot in a beitza has takes up twenty five hundred amot which is 250 square amot for every tree. And this is less than Ula, who says 16 amot, which is actually then 16 on each side, or 32 amot, right? So we're talking about this uh, 30, so it'd be 32 squared, the square around the tree. So that's 1,024 amot, which is so much greater than 250 square amot. So what are we talking about here? So Ula obviously didn't bring his proof from this Mishnah in Shvi. But perhaps, perhaps it's from a different Mishnah in Shvi. There are three trees that belong to, now these are grown trees, three trees that belong to three different people. They come together as one, and then you're allowed to plow the whole the whole Beit Sa'ah, the whole field that produces a Sa'ah of grain, could produce a Sa'ah of grain because of these fields. So now, Kama Havalahu, so how much is that? Tre alfe v'chamesh mea garmide, right? There's, again, 2,500 amot. So there's 833 and a third amot for each one. So it's still more. So how did we, how did we get to that? So if it's not sap, there you go. So it's not three, it's three trees and not saplings as in the Mishnah. Of Shlosha Ilanot. So 2,500, now we have three trees. 20, is 2,500 divided by three, which, as the Gemara says, is 833.3333333, but they only take it to 0.3. Therefore, Ula is still more, because Ula is 1,024 amot, as we said. So now the Gemara says, perhaps the Ula Ladak. Ula was just not exact. But when we say Lodak, that is only for being more stringent. But Ula is actually here being more lenient because with Ula's measurement, it is easier to get out of giving Bikurim. So here the Gemara is obviously going with the line that getting out of giving Bikurim is a leniency. Um, it's good for the owner of the tree. So therefore, so do we ever say Lodak? Lekula. So the Gemara goes on and says, well, maybe that's not what we're talking about. What we're talking about is Misabi Buribua Karmina Beigula Karmina. We're not talking about a square around the tree, that that is the area uh, 32 by 32 that, that a tree suckles from, but rather Beigula Karmina. We're talking about a circle. So 
Then the Gemara reveals how much is the square greater than a circle? It's a quarter greater. Pashula, Pashulahu, Meavishitin, Zion Meavishitin Tame. So we're left over with 768 amot. Okay, so how do we get there? So the area of a square, an area of a circle is pi r squared. The rabbis didn't have pi, which is 3.1718, blah, 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 blah. Well, it's not blah, 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 but it's, that's as much of it I know. But they know that the area of a circle was 3r2, in other words, 3r squared. So this is right, in late antiquity. That was the accepted math, and the rabbis use this for various things. There's a whole sugya in Sukkot about a circle, a, a sukkah, which is circular, and how large it has to be, and there's a... There's a toast with old diagrams and the whole nine yards. So they knew about 3R squared. So 16 by 16 is 256. 16, right? That's the R, the radius. Because if we're doing a circle, it means that it is, the tree is in the center. And the circle is from the 16 amount on either side. That would be the radius is 16 amount. Um, so 16 by 16 is 256, and that's the R, R squared. Then 256 times 3 is 768, so 3 R squared is 768. At the same time, the area of the square around the tree is 32 by 32, which is 1,024, amount, as we said before. So now if we divide 1,024 by 4, it's 256. So since a circle is one quarter less than the square, 1,024 minus 256 is 768. So it comes out the same. So 768 is what the circle is, and it's less than the square, and then we're good. Akati pashle palga da amta. However, the problem is that we're left out a half an ama. What is a half an ama? That is where the tree itself is standing. So that is what it means by the fact that Ula wasn't exact, and he was not exact as a stringency because uh, it is closer to the other field and therefore harder to get away with not bringing Bikurim. Okay, so let's do a post-math Stretch. Let's do the activist stretch just to get our minds clear again before we get back to the Gemara. Everybody stretch up. Reach up to the heavens, to the world as it could be. This is the activist stretch. Reach up to the, to the world as it could be. Reach down to those who came before us, those who are giving us strength. Turn to the left and give a little nice stretch to the left. And now to the other left. And now to the bipartisan left. Then arch your way all the way back because the arc of history bends slowly, but it bends towards justice. And we're back. Tashma. So the Gemara has to figure this, has to figure this stuff out, right? It has to figure this thing out. The 16 Amot, the band of land around the property. So the Gemara says, Tashma. Let's come and learn. So one buys a tree and the land around the tree. He can bring Bikurim, and he can say the uh, liturgy that you have to say with Bikurim, which is also the basis for the Midrash of the Haggadah, Arami, Oved, Avi, etc., and so forth. My love, Kosho. So is this not just anything? Um, so in other words, that that is opposite Ula, who says 16 Amot, right? But this seems to be anything, right, Then you can bring. So, that, so it seems that a tree's area is just the tree, 
No, Yudvavamah. Gemara says, no, which uh, that means 16 Amot. Tashma. So we're going to bring another Mishnah from Bikurim. So if somebody buys two trees within his friend's field, and so he can bring Bikurim, he bring he must bring Bikurim from those trees, but he doesn't read the the liturgy from, from Deuteronomy. However, three, if he has three trees, so then he both brings and he reads. So now, what do we learn from, what does the Stam want to learn from this? My love, Kosho. So what are we talking about? We're talking about any amount of land that he has around that. And no, actually here we're also talking about 16 Amot. So, so far, we haven't put, found anything that contradicts Ula's 16 Amot claim. Tashma, let's bring another Mishnah. Rabbi Akiva, and this one from, from Shvit. Rabbi Akiva, Karka Koshu Chayab Peyav Bikurim, Vikotvinalav Prusbol, Viniknin Iman, Echasim She'en Lemachrit. So Rabbi Akiva says, any land, Koshu means like the head of a needle kind of land, any any piece of land is obligated in Peyav, leaving off the corners of the field, Bikurim, the first fruits, and you can and you can write on that land, use that land um, as kind of a grounding to write Prusbol. It's not really collateral, um, but it's just like you, it, you need to attach your Prusbol to land. Now, Prusbol is the uh, the document that you write if you if you have if you are a creditor and you want to be able to collect loans during the seventh year, during the Shemitah year, even though loans are forfeited during the Shemitah year. Then you have to write a Prusbol, which is basically saying that the loans are not your individual loans. They are corporate loans or they are loans that the court owns. Language is ambiguous a little bit, but then you write it. In order to write a Prusbol, you need a piece of land. So here it's saying the, the piece of land could be a, Rabbi Akiva is saying the piece of land could be even a Mashu piece of land. And you can buy with it land or a state that doesn't have any liens on it. Uh, here means that if, if Shifra sells our own a piece of land, and then it turns out that somebody has a lien on Shifra's land. So if it has achrayut, that means then Aaron could go to Shifra and say, well, pay off, you pay off the creditor. You can't, the creditor can't come to me. If it doesn't have achrayut, it doesn't have accountability, then Aaron is stuck with that debt, which goes with the land. Okay. So, but again, we have Rabbi Akiva saying explicitly that we're talking about karka kolshuk. Any amount of, of land. So he says, no, what are we talking about here? We're talking about wheat. Day or grain. So it's also from the fact that that Rabbi Akiva said, so we're talking about land. We're talking not about trees. We're talking about land, which is for grain. Tashma. Okay, bring another Tashma. And once again, the point of all these Tashmas is to show that a tree does not need 16 amot. Ilan miktzato ba'aras miktzato b'chosar. So this is a great case. A tree which is growing half in the land of Israel and half outside the land of Israel. Tevel v'chulin muravin zebazeh devirevi. So you have, uh, so, and, and the, the outside of the land of Israel and the inside of the land of Israel tree are mixed up with each other, right? And you can't tell the difference. And the part of the tree that's outside the land of Israel is chulin, is, is just a regular tree. And the part of the tree that's inside the land of Israel is table, meaning that you have to take 
um, trumot and masrot, etc. and so forth, all those things which are obligations of things that are grown in the land of Israel, produce that is grown in the in land of Israel, is there. So that what do you do with this tree, which is half in, half out? Rabbi Gamliel Omer, Hagadel Bechiyuv Chayav, Hagadel Bepatur Patur. Rabbi Shimon Gamliel says, simple, that which grows in an area of accountability is accountable. That which grows in an area which is exempt is exempt. Adkan, so then the stamp says, Adkan la pligi. So what, what's, what are we actually, what are we arguing about? Adkan la pligi, ala demar savar yesh bera, mar savar ein bera. The dispute is that one holds, meaning Rav holds that yesh bera, that you can tell the difference, you can make the distinction. It's not as if they're all, it's so mixed up that you can't make the distinction. Or, in fact, you can just decide, right? This is, you can look at it and decide, this is where, here is, this is where, here is, and that's a, a, a reasonable distinction. And Rebbe says you can't, you can't do that. Ain't Brera. You can't, you can't make that kind of a decision. Aval Gadel Biftor Diriakol Patur. But those which are obviously, the produce which is obviously in the part that is exempt, is exempt. So what what actually are we talking about? We're talking about where you have a tsunma, this kind of foundational rock in the ground that divides between it. So then you have an obvious distinction. You can tell which is in Eretz Israel, which is in Chutzart, which is outside of the land of Israel, which is inside the land of Israel. So then what is Rebbe's reason? Because Rebbe said, you bring them all, right? You bring from everything. Because, uh, so you bring the Hadre Arvi, because afterwards they came back and they mix up. Because there's a rock on the bottom, so they grew in two separate places. But then on the bottom, on the top, the the branches came back and mixed up together. We might come mifligi, and what are they? And what what is the dispute about now? So one of them, meaning Rabbi, says that the air, the actual air. Uh, mixes them up together, and one of them says, uh, that no, this is, they're both alone, and therefore you can distinguish between those which grew outside the land of Israel and are not obligated in the uh, things that have to be given from produce grown in the land of Israel, and Rebbe is holding the opposite. Okay, so is it only 16 amot and not further? So now we said, okay, we understand 16 amot, but now we're moving beyond the 16 amot. We're saying, what about, is it only 16 amot? But we have this Mishnah that you have to distance the tree from the cistern, 25 amot. Remember that Mishnah? Everybody should remember that. I'm Rabbi Amazal Tuva Azli Akushi La Makhashi Ella Ad Sheshamat Fela Makhashi. Rabbi says, No, the roots obviously grow farther than 20, 25 amot. However, it's only drawing water for up till 16 amot, and beyond that, it's not drawing water. Kiata Ravdimi Amar, when Ravdimi came from the land of Israel, he said, He recounted that Rish Lakish had asked of Rabbi Yochanan, What is the case? What is the, the law in the case of a tree which is uh, within 16 amot of another field? I'm like, Gazlanu ve'ain mevin mimenu bikurim. So again, uh, Rabbi Yochanan said that it is a thief and you don't bring first fruits from that tree. This is echoing Ula, uh, Rabbi Yochanan echoing Ula, the Palestinians, echoing the Babylonians, saying that it is, a, the tree is a thief and you don't bring first fruits from it. Kiata Ravin, 
אמר רבי יוחנן, אחד אילן הסמוך למיצר ואחד אילן הנוטה, מביא וקורא שאמנת כן הנחיל יהושע לישראל את הארץ. However, when Ravin came, he related in the name of Rabbi Yochanan that it didn't make a difference whether it was a tree that was next to the boundary land, the band of land on the, the boundary of the field, or a tree which leaned over the other field. In both of those, you bring and you read. In other words, you bring the first fruits and you can read the liturgy because for this reason, Joshua... gave the land of Israel to um, the people of Israel. And for this reason, and this is an interesting concept, that it's for this that, Israel, that Joshua gave the land of Israel to the land of Israel, or, or, or captured the land of Israel for the Israelites. The word nachala is like a state, right? And so lehanchil is the verb form of a state. And... There's a number of things for which the reason is, is Shamanat Ken and Chil Yeshua Lerz Yisrael Ta'aretz, and most of them have to do with just being reasonable in guarding your property. So, for example, one is if a person walks across your land, you wouldn't stop that person from walking across the land because Shamanat Ken and Chil Yisrael and Chil Yeshua Lerz Ta'aretz, because for this very reason, right? Meaning, so this is notion kind of of decency or reasonableness in owning property, which is named, for this reason, Joshua gave the land to Israel. So one of those things, this reasonableness, is a different tradition in the name of Rabbi Yochanan. Here, Rabbi Yochanan says that whether a tree is next to the band or whether the tree is bending over into the band or the, the branches are over the band, so you both bring and read, you bring the first fruits and you read the liturgy because... That's what's reasonable, basically. This week's podcast is brought to you by Job and Friends Group Therapy. Are you feeling down? Sad? Does it feel like your life is going nowhere? Well, come to Job and Friends, and after your first hour of group therapy, you will realize that your life could be so much worse. Now, Job and Friends have locations in both Surah and Pumbedita. And for listeners of this podcast, if you mention Daf Shui, you get a 20% discount off your first session. Job and Friends, because your life could be so much worse. Okay, we're up to the next Mishnah. So a tree which is leaning over to the field next door, you cut the amount of the yoke which is on the team of animals which is pulling the plow so that they, so it doesn't interfere with the team or the oxen that are pulling the plow. And with a carob tree and a, or a sycamore tree which apparently have branches that just grow wildly, uh, you drop a plumb line, mashkolet, and then at the border of the field, and you just cut off the branches at that point. Beta shalchin kol heilan kinegida mashkolet. In a field which is watered from a well in the field, you drop a plumb line. Uh, uh, that kind of field is like grows year-round, so apparently it gets the branches leaning over it are more damaging, so You, in any tree, you drop a plumb line and you cut off the branches at the border of the field. Abba Shaul Omer, kol ilan srak keneged hamashkolet. And Abba Shaul says that every tree which does not give fruit, that you cut its branches based on a plumb line. Ibailu, so the Gemara asks, Ibailu, Abba Shaul areshakai or sefakai? So, is Abba Shaul commenting on the first part of the Mishnah or on the last part of the Mishnah? Meaning, is he commenting on a line which says, 
a tree which leans over into its friends, you cut it based on how much it is interfering with the yoke of the animals pulling the plow. And then he says on that, so every tree, you actually cut it based on the plumb line, or is he actually commenting on the beta shalchin, the field which is irrigated? Tashma. So we're going to bring a text to help us solve this dilemma. The Tanya, it says in a brighta, Beta Shalchin, Abba Shaul Omer, Kol Ha'ilan, Kinegad HaMashkolet, Mepnei Shatzel, Rala Beta Shalchin. In an irrigated field, so Abba Shaul says, every tree you cut based on a plumb line because shade is bad for an irrigated field. Shmamina Reshakai Shmamina. So we learn we derive from this that actually Abba Shaul is commenting on the first part of the Mishnah, which is talking about just trees which which uh, go which lean over or whose branches lean over friends the, the next field over. And he and Abba Shaul says that any tree which does not give fruit, you cut it based on the plumb line. Ravashi says we could also see this from the specific way that the mission is written. Because Abba Shul is saying every tree. So if you're going to say that it's talking about the Reisha, that's why it says every tree. Call Ilan. Um, but if it's talking about the end of the the Mishnah, so why does it have to add srak? Why does it have to add fruit tree, non-fruit tree? So rather, so because of this, we know that um, Abba Shaul's statement is actually modifying the first part of the Mishnah. Okay. Next Mishnah, last Mishnah in the parak. Ilan shu rabim gamal over A tree which is whose um, head, the head of the tree, the branches are leaning into the rishut rabim, the public domain. You cut it so that a camel and driver can pass by. Rabbi Huda Omer gamal taun pishtan of chavilei zmarot. Rabbi said they're talking about a loaded camel, a camel that's loaded with flax or bundles of flax. Rabbi Shimon says any tree is cut based on the plumb line because we're worried about impurity. In other words, the canopy of the tree operates just like the canopy, just like the like a roof in a house. And if there is impurity underneath it, then anybody that walks underneath it is also impure. And if there's no canopy and there's impurity, you can walk by and you don't become impure. So... We don't want people to innocently walk by in the public domain and then end up being impure because they're a piece of impure whatever is underneath the tree and they're also underneath the tree. So the Gemara, the Stam and the Gemara asks, So from where do you get the notion that when we're talking about damages, we uh, assess it based on what is going on right this very minute? Right? Because if we say that we you cut it down based on, you know, the plumb line, the branches could grow back. Rishlakin said this is actually in a controversy. It's part of a dispute. Rebelezri, and, and we follow Rebelezri. One is not allowed to make to dig under 
the Rishut Rabbim under the public domain, to build a cistern or a, a water hole or caves for water. Rebelezer Matir and Rebelezer permits Bechtei Shetia Agala Mahalechet Utuna Avanim. Rebelezer permits if it's in such a way that a carriage can drive over, a carriage which is loaded with stones can drive over that spot in the road and not fall through. So Rabbi Yochan Omer, even according to the rabbis in that in that situation, there we're talking about a situation where sometimes it'll just fall through, and that wasn't the intention. But here, as the trees grow, you just keep cutting the trees. So therefore, it's not just about now, but it's about you're following up on the damage that might happen from the trees going up. Okay, Rebuda Mer Gamalton Pishtano Chabilez Marot. Rebuda says it's a, a camel which is loaded. Ibailu. Shurid Rebbe Yehuda Nafish, Odom Shurid Rebbe Nafish. So, which is greater, the Rebbe Yehuda's measure, which is a loaded camel, or the rabbi's measure, which is a camel and its rider? So obviously it is the measure of the rabbis which is greater. Because if we would have thought that if we want to say that it's the measurement of Rabbi Yehuda that's greater, how could so what does the rabbis do then in the case of Rabbi Yehuda? What is the law for the rabbis in the case of Rabbi Yehuda? Do we have to cut it that high? In other words, what happens if a camel is loaded? What do the rabbis say? So obviously, the measurement of the rabbis is greater. So if that's true, so what does the rabbi, what does Rabbi Yehuda do about the fact that sometimes you have a camel and a driver, and the driver will get beaten up by the tree? He said, no, well, the driver could just bend over and go underneath the tree. Okay. Rabbi Shimon Omer says that every tree is measured by a plumb line to prevent impurity happening. So the Mishnah is teaching us about a tent, right? The technical term tent, um, an overhang, a roof of impurity. Right, so that there is some, um, you know, like we said before, we worry that there might be impurity on the ground, and the canopy of the tree becomes a an ohel, a, a overhang for impurity, and anybody walking underneath is impure. Pshita, mipnea tumatzan. So obviously, because it says because of impurity, imi matnitin. So if it's just from the Mishnah, I mean, dilma mighty orev tuma b'shadi hata. If it was just from the Mishnah, I would have thought that the problem is that a raven came and with some impure meat in its beak and it just left it there. And then that is within the canopy of the tree and within the canopy of the tumah. And I can fix that problem by just putting a scarecrow there and, and chasing away all the, all the birds. Kamash Milan. So the it, we are taught by this bright it says that that's not enough because it could be that it's not only the problem of birds coming and leaving tuma in the branches, but it's also the fact that the whole thing is an ohel ha tuma. Hadran Allah Loyakbar. So here we've come to the end. We will return to you, Loyakbar, this second chapter. 
We have come to the end of the second chapter. It's been a ride, and I am so glad that you all are along for the ride. Teaser, we're going to have a special Hadron broadcast episode, podisode, next week. I'm not sure exactly when it's going to fall, with uh, Professor Charlotte Van Robert from Stanford University talking about space. She's her, her, She's been writing a lot about Ervin and how that impacts space, and she's also been my Haruta for these past few weeks, which has been wonderful. I am Aryeh Cohen. You can follow me on Twitter at Irmiklat, I-R-M-I-K-L-A-T. Eli Unger-Sargon is in the control booth and has his hands on. The control makes this podcast sound intelligible and nice. Thanks, Eli, as always. And shout out to Charlotte Van Robert, who has been my Haruta for the past few weeks. I hope you enjoyed yourself over this past 40 minutes or so. And if you did, please leave a, uh, a comment, a good comment, hopefully, on the, uh, the Apple podcast page. And come back next week. More important, bring other folks so that the sounds of Learning Torah ring out across the land. Stay healthy, stay safe, 